Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Tuesday morning, uh, the 16th of May. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. The Taoiseach says he's shocked and horrified at the burning of refugee tents in Dublin and he was worried of further similar attacks happening. I am worried about it, he said. There's always going to be an element of people who have far-right or racist views and an element of people who will turn to violence. But I think we as a society have to reject that unequivocally. No human being should be burnt or attacked or have to face this kind of hatred no matter where they're from or what their backstory is. No human being should be treated in that way. Leo Vradker went on to say he did not believe there were enough Gardaí available on the streets of Dublin to effectively combat violent attacks on refugees. A remarkable statement, but one that was soon played down by his Minister for Justice. Simon Harris said it was a fact that more Gardaí are needed, but he said the Garda Commissioner Drew Harris has assured him that he is satisfied he has operational integrity within the force and could carry out the policing responses that are needed to tackle this issue. Let's speak to Mark O'Mara, Vice President of the Garda Representative Association, the G. Good morning to you, Mark, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme. Has the force got the resources needed to tackle this problem? Good morning, Michael. Um, thank you for having me on the air. Um, we would uh, argue that we don't have the resources, um, Michael. I mean, first of all, we would condemn any attacks on any citizens of, of, uh, of our country. We're living in an inclusive modern society, and our role is to ensure the safety of all citizens of Ireland. Um, and I welcome... Taoiseach's uh, remarks. Um, we met with the Minister of Justice at our conference in Westport a number of weeks ago. We highlighted our concerns over recruitment and retention. Um, I mean, the, let's, you know, call it for what it is. We currently um, are committed to 1,000 uh, members on Garda Sheikhoi being recruited into Templemore this year. And unfortunately, so far this year, in January, we had 134 recruited. Um, and on uh, yesterday, on Monday, we had 154 recruited. So that's five, uh, 112 members on the promised 400 today. Mm. If that continues uh, through 2023, we're not going to meet that target. We're going to be far short of that. And, and we're, 
Is, is that what you need? It's more manpower. Is that a, a problem in a more general sense than uh, specifically looking at these racist right-wing type protests that have turned violent recently? Well, most certainly uh, we are talking about resource and manpower. I mean, any um, protests uh, will ine- inevitably and substantially result in protest removal. Um, and that's a specialised, uh, you know, unit required, specialised training required. And where there is some training element uh, for public order incidents in Campbellmore for recruits and so on, um, we feel that there is most certainly a requirement for uh, increasing number of specialised units in public order. It's a big uh, decision to take, I, I would imagine, to break up a, a protest because it could soon escalate into a riot. Absolutely, and you have to have those resources to deal with that should that happen. And bear in mind that if you don't have those units, then what you have is the backup for those units are being involved in the protest removal, and that's uh, where you have the, the risk to everybody concerned. What's your understanding of the people who are involved uh, in these groups that are protesting against people into coming into this country uh, and have participated in these protests that have turned violent? I mean, ultimately, you're looking at a specific group, um, and they are far-right racist groups. You know, there's no um, other term for them. Um, it's not what we would condone. It's not what anybody in the country um, condones um, and can stand behind. Um, and unfortunately, there's always going to be that element, but that's where you need the resources uh, behind the Garda Shea to deal with that. Right. And what about identifying them? If... Uh, it was too dangerous to intervene over the weekend. Uh, in other words, you could have made a, a bad situation worse. Uh, is it possible to identify those people and arrest them afterwards? I mean, absolutely. Um, again, should we have uh, body cams and so on that we are calling for, that would assist in identifying them. Um, obviously, intelligence-led um, you know, investigations of this would identify them. But um, it, it is down to the resourcing of numbers and... Um, you would hope that you'd be in a position where you would have sufficient numbers um, on scene dealing with those incidents to be able to affect the appropriate arrests. And do you have, do the Gardaí and Garda Síochána have uh, the resources to carry out that type of uh, intelligence uh, gathering uh, so that uh, you could arrest people and maybe charge them after the crime? Because these were uh, very serious crimes that took place over the weekend, very violent, uh, and the idea of burning up these tents uh, and God knows what the outcome of that might have been. Absolutely. Um, What happened the weekend was horrendous. There's no doubt about that. Um, we would. I mean, I believe that there are resources there um, in which to do it. But I do think that the likes of body cams and so on, uh, which can record live during an incident which is, can be completely out of control, will go a long way to identifying those that need to be um, prosecuted and um, detected at a later date. All right. And is there a concern uh, when you come across groups like this who are obviously looking for trouble uh, that they would be uh, delighted to get into a, a clash with the Gardaí as a, a recruiting tactic, if you like it, an us-against-them tactic, uh, uh, we're the good guys against the establishment kind of approach. Yeah, and I mean, we're seeing that on a daily basis in relation to um, you know media coverage and so on and um, viral uh, videos that um, are circulating. Mm. Um, that most certainly does promote that for them. Um, and of course, that also affects 
um, our own members and their safety and so on. And also for even members who are to be recruited at a subsequent date, um, seeing that it doesn't promote a good working environment, a safe working place for them. And of course, these fellows won't be uh, behind the door putting a phone in front of your face. Exactly, exactly. And that's a difficulty our members face on a daily basis. Okay, Uh, and the Minister said there's a policing plan in place uh, to deal with these protests. Are are you aware of it, or if uh, the same thing was to happen this weekend, uh, how would it be dealt with? Has anything changed? Well, that is an operational, you know, policing operational matter. Um, it's not one that we'd normally um, comment on, but I, I do understand that there is a policing plan in place, of course. But that, those policing plans will inevitably cause a huge drain on the resource of our frontline members. And that is a difficulty we're facing and the members we represent. Mm. Uh, of course, it, it's uh, very upsetting to a, a lot of us in the country. And much worse than that, much more serious than that, is the intimidation uh, that those who are at uh, the wrong end of uh, this type of of action are are feeling uh, it's unbelievable to think uh, that people would want to burn your tent down uh, or that you would be left to sleep in a a tent and that that's the way uh, you're being dealt with in a country where you're seeking international protection. Uh, And those people uh, really uh, are deserving of of protection. Um, Not only are they deserving, there's an obligation on the state to provide them with that uh, protection. And that comes down to Angarda Siakana. You say there's a policing plan in place for the likes of what happened in Dublin over the weekend. But what about the likes of what's happening in Clare this morning, where locals have taken it upon themselves to block roads so that immigrants, asylum seekers, can't get to a hotel where they're about to be accommodated? Again, um, behaviour and conduct, which blocking roads, um, interfering with, um, you know, the rights of those members that come into this country um, who are seeking refuge and seeking safety. Um, In an inclusive society, it it is very regrettable that we would have groups that would conduct themselves in that manner. Um, And again, a huge drain on resources and and the impact it has on on those who are vulnerable who come here for um, refuge. Mm. It it would be possible, would it not? I I don't know what the thinking behind the operation there this morning is because I'm sure it's been watched closely by uh, the local police, but it it would be possible, would it not, to just go down there and ask those people to take their tractors off the road uh, and if they refused to, to arrest them and to move the tractors? I mean, in an ideal world, that's exactly what would happen, and, and I, I'm sure that is what's happening on operational uh, base at the moment. Um, but you're seeking cooperation of those members who are there to protest um, against uh, refugees coming into their area, and that is a, a difficulty um, for the, the police force locally to try and deal with. Mm. But no doubt that is what they are trying to do. Now, is there a concern? Uh, that this issue will pit local people against members of Angarda Siakana? That is always a risk, but you would hope that that wasn't the case. Um, You would hope that um, by the proper implementation of um, public order and uh, the police present the front line, that the crowd will disperse, the protest will disperse without that um, long-term effect. Okay, but what you need is more manpower to do that, you say, and uh, that's something that's been lacking for many uh, years, and and indeed you need that manpower for many reasons other than dealing with these type of protests. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Our our numbers, unfortunately, are are dwindling. Our numbers are falling. I mean, our current numbers are just over 14,000. In 2021, the official figures from the Department of Justice were that we had 14,500 members. Um, Judging by our recruitment um, crisis at the moment, 
um, and with those members who will be uh, leaving the force either to retirement or resigning, um, that number will fall significantly more over the, the coming months and years. Um, and ultimately, that puts a huge pressure on our own resources and workload for those members uh, who are trying to affect uh, their daily work with lacking uh, numbers behind them. I mean, we're looking at major issues for our members would be pensions, um, you know, the working conditions you know, of their employment, their, the workload with depleting numbers, um, you know, oversight bodies, safe place to work, as we're, we're highlighting there uh, during protest removals. I mean, all of these cause an issue for people seeking a career in a Garda Shikana when they see the viral videos, you know, that are currently circulating. Mm. That causes huge concern. Okay, we'll leave there. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us this morning. Mark O'Mara is the Vice President of the GRA. That's the Garda Representative Association. Stephen in Drogheda texting us uh, this morning a WhatsApp message from Stephen. He says the army should be brought in to help the Garda when things like this happen, especially when they don't have the manpower. Thanks, uh, Stephen. I, I, I guess the first question is, why are we doing this? Uh, you and me, uh, because it's been done in our name. Uh, we burnt down the tents. I mean, that's got to be the way that this will be perceived by people from outside of uh, the state, that there were vulnerable people who came to Ireland to seek asylum and the Irish burnt them off the streets. This morning, uh, there's uh, a group of people in Inch, locals, I believe, uh, who've blockaded the roads uh, because there's some asylum seekers who arrived last night to stay in a, a local hotel. They want to make sure nobody else arrives. Why? Uh, Well, they say uh, that they're worried about sewage and they say that they're worried uh, about the hotel having a fire cert. Did you ever hear the like? Made up nonsense. Made up nonsense from people who just don't want them there as if it makes any difference to them if the hotel is a fire cert or if there's proper sewage or whatever. And if they were really concerned about that, I'm sure that they'd be making those concerns known in an appropriate way without acting lawlessly, uh, blockading roads, taking it upon themselves with some sort of superior complex that this area is the area I have perceived it to be all of my life and that I'm not going to allow this to happen in my hometown and all this bloody stuff. Uh, it's amazing to think how welcome the Irish were for all of those decades uh, and we're going back many, many decades, uh, back to the famine boats really, aren't we? Uh, in every corner of the world uh, and I know that many of uh, the people listening to us this morning like me have lived overseas and uh, never had any problems like this and we were welcomed and we pride ourselves on being Uh, the country of a thousand welcomes, the Cade Meal of Falchia, which is given to people who have a lot of dollars to spend. What is wrong? Why are we allowing a small group of people make us feel ashamed to be Irish this morning? If you have any thoughts on that, give us a call 0419832000, text or WhatsApp 0861800658, email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. What a beautiful morning and uh, I'm sure farmers across uh, the region are delighted at uh, the good weather this morning. It is silage season if 
uh, you're not a farmer and uh, you're driving this morning, you're probably acutely aware or possibly uh, acutely aware that it is silage season. Uh, that's if you got stuck behind a tractor at some stage on your journey today and wondered why they couldn't wait till 10 or 11 o'clock rather than doing it through rush hour. Uh, let's speak to Alice Doyle, who is the IFA's Farm, Family and Social Affairs Chair. Good morning to you, Alice, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. It's the annual battle for the roads, isn't it? Good morning, Michael. Indeed it is. Actually, I'm on the road myself this morning, and just as you said it, I have just come, come across two tractors and trailers who are going into, turning into a feed just ahead of me here, and there's a silage harvester in there ahead of them. So it's well on the way down here in the southeast where I am at the moment, and I'm sure across the country with the fine weather that it's well underway. And with, you know, reasonable forecasts for the next couple of days, we're going to have a very busy couple of weeks, I think. Yeah, and we tend to have a busy couple of weeks in the radio station, uh, taking calls from time to time from people uh, who are either irate with farmers uh, because uh, they've delayed their journey or from farmers uh, who don't seem to understand uh, why people don't allow them space on the road. Well, I think it's, it's a mutual understanding here is required, really, and a little bit of patience on both sides. Uh, you know, I, I take the farmer's side first, not because they're more born, but we just start with them. Like, the farmers have to be out on the road at this point in time. They have to get inside. This is their main season. It's their main uh, forage crop for the rest of the year. And they get a short window within which to get it. The growing season, you know, is at its peak. And they get about two to three weeks to get it in. Um, and that's their, their feed for the winter. Uh, so they do have to come out on the road because many farms... Uh, are you know not necessarily only close to the farmyard so they're drawing from fields down the road maybe a couple of kilometres even away and they have to bring out the big machinery to take it in uh, the tractors can't go that very hard they're carrying very big loads and we are very much aware that they're on you know narrow roads and I would say to farmers be aware that you're on narrow roads be aware that you could meet a car coming around the corner you could come across a pedestrian you could come across a cyclist um, and all of these people are not you know necessarily aware of the fact that these tractors are going to be on the road so I'm saying to farmers be very careful on the road mm. be patient with the fact that you could meet people okay. and to people who are non-farmers I would say you know just be aware that this is a short period of time it's not going to go on you know all, all year uh, and it's part of the livelihood of the farmer that he has to be on the road uh, and I would ask you just to be patient with him really or her whoever is driving that tractor and they you know until they get to their destination now we have advised farmers you know that they do pull in here uh, every so often along the road that if there's a line of traffic building up behind them and if it can come to a clear spot where they can pull in to pull in but really it boils down to being a little bit patient with on both sides really some, uh, and knowing some, that it's part of a day's work okay some of these machines as you say are very big uh, and uh, difficult to keep it on just one side of the road so probably not surprising that the driver tends to veer over the line a, a bit uh, but it can take the heart across you if you come a- across it in the opposite direction uh, as you're going around a bend and there's something on your side of the road even if it's just one of the wheels of the machine Look, exactly. It's a bit like, you know, on an hour road, if you have a lorry, it's the very same thing. So the tractor is almost the size of a, of a small lorry. So you can expect that it could be a little bit over the white line. And that's why I'm saying from both parties, from both the farmer's side and the non-farmer, to be aware that you could be meeting uh, each other on the road and just to take it a little bit slower because if you can go slowly, you can break. Like these big tractors carrying, you know, a, a mm. very heavy weight of silage behind them. They can't break as quickly as a car can. Remember, the, there's a propulsion of that weight behind them pushing them forward. So we're asking farmers to take it slowly. 
we're asking the traffic on, you know, narrow roads in particular to take it slowly just for the next couple of weeks. And I think it'll, it'll all end well if, okay. if that happens. No, not, not all of them pull in when they can, uh, as you suggested they should. I, that look at there's always somebody who won't do what we ask them to do but again this year we're putting it out there very much to our farming community to be aware of the, the other people using the road as well and where possible to accommodate it now look at I'm not going to make excuses for people who don't do it I, all I can say is that sometimes they're under a lot of pressure to meet deadlines uh, the, the, the contractor may have three or four farmers in his yeah. ear at any one time saying I need you today I need you today the forecast is not great tomorrow mm. that doesn't excuse not pulling in so I'm saying, you know, do that where at all possible. Or the speed uh, that they're driving at, because sometimes uh, the vehicle doesn't seem fit to be doing the speed that it's driving at. Yeah, some of the bigger tractors can do quite a quite a speed. Mm. You know, they're, they're, they are fit to do the, the, the speed, all right. But as I said, again, on country roads, we need to be very careful, either as farmer or non-farmer, that we take it a little bit slower at, uh, at this time of the year because we do not know what's around the corner. And that's why they're going so fast, because they're so hectic. Is it so hectic? that they have to come out and rush hour? Do they have to be on the road at 8 o'clock? Do they have to be on the road at 5 o'clock in the evening? They certainly do. I can tell you every hour that God has sent, they need at the moment because we've had a wet, you know, it's been quite wet up until till the last week, really. Uh, and things are a little bit behind uh, and farmers really need to get out there. And as I said, they have a very short window. The, the, the fast growing season is now. There's a short window to get that grass in at its optimum when it is at its high uh, digestive matter di- uh, di- ability. So we have to have that, uh, you know, good quality mm. grass to give the good feed and that can only be got within a narrow window. Okay, and as you say, they've people down their necks saying we need it today because the forecast isn't good tomorrow. Are they on their phones? Uh, because we've a WhatsApp message from a listener who says farmers need to be reminded to have a word with their drivers about the use of mobile phones whilst driving. It's frightening how many tractor drivers are using their phones when they're driving these enormous tractors and the trailers and the tankers and so on, uh, says our caller. Look at no more than we see drivers using a phone uh, in, in cars. Uh, tractors also have hands-free facilities uh, as cars do, and uh, no more than than drivers in cars use phones uh, and are condemned. But I would absolutely condemn any farmer that would use a phone in his tractor and I do think particularly agricultural advisors and farmers who have younger people in particular driving tractors that they absolutely warn them that under no circumstances are they to have a mobile phone in their hand mm. if they want to use hands free they can most of the modern tractors have hands free okay. and uh, and I do know they have to communicate you know with each other between mm. getting back and forth between fields and meeting you know other contractors or whatever but that is no excuse for using a phone and under no circumstances would we condone anybody using a phone uh, or uh, and especially at a time when you're testing the patience of motorists uh, I mean you're asking motorists to be patient and to accept uh, this but it, it can be very inconvenient people can be late for appointments for work and so on because they get stuck behind uh, these vehicles uh, somebody says I've seen tractors on the motorway which is not allowed by law uh, by law they're not but then on, under certain circumstances they may have to go short distances on the motorway it's the only way they can get between point A and point B um, so it's excused under that I think but uh, it's preferable that they could use, if they can use back roads at all that's what they're asked to use and I think most farmers try to use the back roads if they can because they feel safer on it uh, as well as being the fact that it's more legal to be uh, on the side roads but look at on the rare occasion you will see uh, it's not that common now look it can happen it's like anything 
happen. It can happen. But it would be more uh, more uncommon than common. Okay. we leave it there, Alice. Uh, some food for thought for motorists and indeed for farmers for that. And now. can I wish a safe, yeah. safe season to everybody. Okay, thank you. And, and good weather. <laughs> and, and very good weather. For everybody, yeah. farmer or no farmer. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, isn't, it great, isn't it great to get the lovely morning that we have this morning? It's beautiful this yeah, morning absolutely. and long may it last. A lot of work mm. will get done, but then, as I said, you know, patience for everybody and we'll all have a safe season. Thank you very much indeed. Alice Doyle, Thanks IFA's Farm, you. Family and Social Affairs Chair. Now, let me bring in some of uh, the comments coming to us. Claire and Mead says, good morning, Michael, our Garda are being treated very badly, pay them good wages, make it attractive to join the Garda. Our lovely country is falling apart. Thanks, Clara. Betty Daly says, good morning, Michael, these right-wingers probably suffering from ABCDEFG syndrome, who never contributed to anything in their lives, only misery. Let's see who they really are if they get fined for disturbing the peace, says Betty. Thank you, Betty, as always. Somebody else uh, in touch with us talking about me and what they called uniformly leftist PC emotional porn uh, who say communities have a right to say stop to uh, refugees. Not, they don't. We have international obligations. We have to take people in who are seeking international protection and we have to offer them uh, accommodation, clean, safe accommodation. Uh, Mags in touch saying, good morning, Michael. Uh, regarding refugees, burning is a bit extreme. A bit extreme, Mags. <laughs> Janie, uh, I don't know what you're made of, but tougher stuff to me. Uh, she says, you mentioned that when the Irish went abroad years ago uh, and uh, how they were welcoming us all that, but they had to work for a living. Uh, and they weren't handed everything, says Max. Not true, Max. Not from my experience. I've come across some of the biggest spongers I've ever known. Irish people living uh, abroad, going on the dole uh, and living off uh, the luxury of state payments in other countries. Big, big, huge spongers uh, from Ireland uh, living abroad. See many of them. Uh, somebody else uh, in touch uh, with us about the Irish going ar- ar- abroad uh, and didn't look for handouts uh, and uh, a lot of uh, other stuff there, which I imagine uh, is really as a result of Chinese whispers uh, and probably not true at all. Uh, but regardless, you'll always get odd, exceptional people uh, and you'll get good people and bad people in every community uh, and uh, so on. But uh, there's uh, certainly uh, no truth in the claim that all the Irish went away and worked for a living. Uh, most of them did yeah of course most of them did but there are some spongers from Ireland as well uh, that I've come across I have to say anyway if you want to have your say on that anything else for that matter 041983 2000 the telephone number text or whatsapp 086 658 email michael at lmfm.ie Michael, michael Reed, Reed on LMFM now, The ISPCC says six year olds are phoning Childline after watching pornography and uh, feeling confused and scared after what they've seen, 10-year-olds are calling Childline because of peer pressure to engage in sexual activity or to share explicit images. Childline is hearing from children who are talking about things like masturbation, rape and sexual fantasies in detail. Uh, the phone seems to be at the root of it. Fiona Jennings is Head of Policy and Public with uh, the ISPCC. Good morning, Fiona. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Is is simply a fact of life that children watch pornography uh, and there's nothing that anybody can do about it now. Good morning, Michael. Um, I don't know, would I go as far as saying it's, it's a fact of life, but it certainly has become an issue that we're, we've become hugely concerned about over the last, we'd say, even five years or so that it seems to have increased in terms of the, the contacts we would get and the concerns that would happen about it. Now, they're still in the minority, so I don't want to 
you know, scaremonger people and say that, you know, every call or every contact is in relation to this. But I suppose what is important is that children are viewing content at such a young age that they're not able to understand what's happening in it. And also as well, some older children then are going on to act out what they see in the content they are viewing, you know, on siblings, on peers. And the harm that that's causing is incredibly concerning for everybody. Uh, about, about age, 10-year-olds? From the age that they're viewing it? Yeah, no, no, from, no, from the age that they're going on to act it out. Yeah, so that would kind of be in, in early teenage years that, that right. we would get those contacts about. Um, and there are stuff when they're viewing pornography, they have a skewed lens in which they're viewing what expectations um, in terms of relationships that they're looking at, and in particular girls. So we would get contacts from girls where um, you know this, they're, they're viewing pornographic material or they're being showed it. And, you know, the belief is in them is just how they're expected to behave. And, and we all and, know and that. And there's something wrong with them if they don't, because that's how women behave. That's what they're seeing. That's what they perceive. And that's, and generally with pornographic material, it is, um, it is based on the, the violence and expectations are, are around, you know, the female gender. Mm. And it, it's skewed towards them. And I suppose sometimes, you know, why do children look at uh, pornography? And they can do for, you know, many reasons. Sometimes it is curiosity. Sometimes it's supplementing poor education. Or they may have been shown it by a third party as well. Yeah. And obviously there can be a lot of reasons behind it. You know, it is sometimes it is them seeking it out themselves or within a peer setting. Or other times as well, it could be that, you know, children are being groomed. And, and that's hugely concerning also. Okay, but impossible, uh, very difficult if not impossible uh, to protect children from seeing pornography in today's world. Yeah, I mean, look, I think you know, we we talk about pornography we talk about child sexual abuse and I suppose really what we need to be looking at is the whole area of the early sexualisation of children, which is you know, the, the, the lens that we would look at it through. You know, pornography to a certain extent is ubiquitous especially online and I suppose more and more in the last number of years, um, you know, internet-enabled devices have um, they, they've been made available in all homes um, across the country. So children are readily able to access this type of content. And I suppose the message that we would like to give today is, you know, for parents, for teachers, for us all as a community to, to really tackle this head on with a concerted effort and really try and introduce conversations around this from an early age, but an age-appropriate, um, age-appropriate manner as well, so that you know when children do come across something online, that they feel that they have the confidence and the language to talk to a trusted adult or to a parent about what they're seeing. Mm. Uh, should we assume that pornography is accessible to our children? Our children, as young as six. Uh, and from that age onwards, and that if it is accessible to our, our children, that if we want to protect them, that we need to talk to them. Oh, absolutely, we need to talk to them, and that would be that would go to any risk or harm, um, or potential harm within children's lives. Um, and this, unfortunately, as I said, it has become mm. a lot more commonplace, where children are able to um, see the material or come across it and we do need to start talking to them about what do we, what, it. What do we say to them, Fiona? Do we tell them, don't watch it? 
I don't think we can have that response in that it's very, if we say to them, don't, don't watch it, you know, and this, by the way, when I say don't watch it, that doesn't mean do watch it. Mm. But if we tell children not to do something, they're invariably going to wonder, yeah. why are they telling me not for, to do for, that? Forbi- for, to for, for, forbidden about. fruit. Uh, and I mean, uh, we all know how we are ourselves, that, and ch- children probably aren't much different. So if we don't tell them not to watch it, what do we say uh, to them? Uh, do we advise them uh, about watching it or do we say it would be better if you don't watch it, but if you do, you have to remember X, Y and Z? But I think it's, it's, even, it's, it's, it's many steps even before that. Okay. Talking to children you know, about their own bodies, respecting their own bodies, talking to them about um, appropriate touch, inappropriate touch, talking to them about, you know, feelings and talking to them about respectful relationships. At what age, Fiona? The whole Fiona? concept of consent. We would say to start this from primary school level to introduce these concepts from a very early age. From about seven? And, <clears throat> yeah, you can introduce it from about seven onwards. Um, and then we have the Stay Safe programme in schools, which, which starts at, or at um, junior infants. So it's already introducing those concepts to them. But it's about having that sustained effort and that that it's reinforced at home, it's reinforced within the community as well. Um, And that those messages start to sink through. So when they do come to that age where they perhaps have their own devices and um, they, they do come across this content, they're able to somewhat make sense of it. Mm. and they're able to, to bring it to the parent, bring it to the trusted adults and talk through it then as well. Okay. Whereas often what's happening is they're stumbling across this content and they have, they're, they're, they're at sea, they don't understand what's going on in it and that can be very frightening for them as well. Okay, I have to leave it there if you're on a matter of time. I think uh, asking parents to speak to their children uh, at seven uh, could be very challenging for some parents but uh, your message to them is to do that in order to protect the child it's in the child's interests. We leave it there as I say thank you for joining us this morning Fiona Jennings Head of Policy in Public with the ISPCC Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, as you've been hearing in uh, the bulletins uh, this morning, LMFM News reporting on uh, that Loud County Council meeting yesterday and indeed Maeve Yours motion and how it was pulled from the agenda yesterday by the Chief Executive, uh, Joan Martin, who says that the reason she did pulled the motion was because of legal advice that was given to her and to protect the council. Uh, Joan Martin has not made that legal advice available. We're going to speak to Damien O'Farrell once again. Damien is an independent councillor on Dublin City Council himself, uh, but he's also a, a victim of child sexual abuse at the hands of the Christian Brothers and represents many people uh, who have found themselves in a similar situation. Uh, as I say, um, it's impossible to understand what legal advice might have been given to the council in relation to the motion because there is absolutely nothing defamatory in the wording of the motion. That's what we discussed the last time, uh, Damien. Uh, but uh, the CEO, Joan Martin, uh, claiming that she has legal advice, won't show anybody the legal advice. We we wrote, by the way, uh, to Loud County Council and asked to see that legal advice. Uh, and I know that you've been looking to see it. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, there has been a, a legal team seeking uh, to get sight of the legal advice. Do you believe that there is legal advice? Because it's very hard to understand uh, how any self-respecting solicitor would claim that the wording of that motion would be defamatory. 
Well, I've seen uh, legal advice that the uh, that the council, that the officials got on the 4th of April, and, I, and I'll, I'll read out it out for yeah, the moment. Sure, and yeah. and mm. the legal advice would be... Um, would stand up to what what we're saying, you know. This it would it would agree with what uh, what Councillor Yor is saying and myself is saying. It, it wouldn't agree with what uh, John Martin the manager the is yeah. saying, you know. Mm-hmm. But it comes yeah. to that in a second. Mm-hmm. But it, it's it's quite it's quite clear. Section uh, one three two of the Local Government Act it, it, it talks about a county manager's duties in respect of reserve function, and the rescinding of a freedom of a city is a reserve function. It's just reserved for councillors. It's nothing to do with the the, the county manager and. In the Act, it tells what, what the duties are of a county manager. And the duties are, are to as- advise and assist. Advise and assist councillors in making their decision. And the councillor, and it's not, it's sorry, it's advise and assist the council, not yeah. councillors, the council. They have to be very clear. The council is when all the councillors come into their county meeting. Mm. And when they're all sitting together in a room, all the members together, that's the council. Mm. And it's to advise and assist the council. And the council. Those but isn't men- there a corporate policy group that uh, uh, agrees the agenda? And if there's legal advice uh, that has been given to the CEO, could she not? Yeah, but that's nothing to do. Reserve functions are not okay. discussed in. If you look in the Act, I right. don't know how loud do their. Uh, mm. But reserve functions aren't discussed mm. in the but, Act. But would that be irresponsible of her to allow a motion to go ahead if she was advised that uh, it, it could? Uh, end up in the council uh, being in well, hot water. Would, yeah, it would be the council's decision, though, not her decision. That's okay. that's my understanding. And, and if she'd like to come on and, and debate this, and it's up to the council yeah. to By take... the way, we've asked John Martin to come on. The yeah. CEO is not available or hasn't yeah. been available. Uh, our last uh, email back to the council has not been responded to. And the act mm. that we're all governed by goes on to say that it's up to the council to take heed of the county manager's advice. Mm. But if it's already been taken off the agenda and it's not on the agenda, it's unilaterally been taken off before we're at, before we're in the room discussing it. Mm. How can how can they take her advice when it's when it's gone? And the legal advice that they got on the fourth of April said that there was nothing in st- and I'm reading directly mm. from the legal mm. advice. There was nothing in standing orders which imposes restrictions on motions. They're talking about reserved function mo- motions. Nothing in standing orders which imposes restri- restrictions on motions. And if it's considered out of order, it's referred to the chair. The chair, the chairman, is the the councillor elected chair. He's the chair of the council. Not not um, the county manager is not the chair of the council. And if a motion is considered defamatory, is there sufficient factual information to make such a claim? And in this instance, there isn't. There's no there's no factual information to make that this a claim. There's nothing defamatory in that motion. Councillor Yor read it out here. Prime time have discussed this issue. The Irish Times have discussed this issue. We're discussing it. There's nothing defamatory. Mm. And if the motion is to be included on the agenda, councillors should be cautioned on these issues beforehand. So it's put on the agenda, and mm. that's the standing orders allowed. County it's put on the agenda, and councillors then decide whether they will discuss it or not. Mm. And the county manager gives them advice. She tells them this this could okay. be defamatory. You have to be careful what you say. We don't have dull privilege. That's how that's how it proceeds. So, so I don't know what happened um, yesterday in, mm. in Loud County Council, but certainly it's not my understanding. Okay. H- have you seen the legal advice that was given to the I've council? I've seen legal advice that was given to the council um, mm. on the 4th of April. Right. Uh, and that's the same legal advice that was sent to Maeve Yor on Thursday? I, it's not, no. No, because I'm told... Uh, that yeah, well, Maeve, uh, yeah, no, it's not yeah. the same legal advice. So I don't understand... Um, 
Mm. She wasn't sent, Councillor Yor wasn't sent legal advice. Mm. She didn't see the legal advice. They haven't shown the legal advice. Mm. But on the, I saw legal advice, which is an email to, uh, to, to an official from mm. their, from their and, lawyer. And, 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 I don't know, I'm being told that uh, maybe Yor was sent legal advice on, on Thursday. Uh, and I, I, I don't know uh, after that, Damien. Um, yeah. The only thing I know is that she we... She was sent w- an explanation. Okay. About why they took that. Uh, right. She didn't see the legal from the from the solicitor. She mm. didn't see that. That's what she okay. wanted to see. What was written yeah. down. But I saw. I, mm. I'm I'm just reading out what the solicitor told them on the fourth of April. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I mean, we've asked the council to have sight of uh, the legal advice uh, that hasn't been responded to. I don't know why. Uh, mm. The third secret of Fatima uh, at this stage, uh, because uh, there's no. Uh, logical reason uh, why uh, the council would have stopped the motion being uh, debated and voted on and of course as we said on the programme last week councillors uh, would vote how they see fit mm. uh, it's clear that some councillors would not have voted uh, in favour of this motion in particular to rescind the freedom of Drogheda given to Brother Edmund Garvey Yeah I think that's 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 coming out now that, that they wouldn't have uh, they wouldn't have given it if they had known mm. I suppose this is going back to institutions, organisations, um, any institutions. They're uncomfortable sometimes. When, are you when sure? I'm, are you sure that's what? Are you are, you, it, are you sure that it's not you and these other victims of child sexual abuse that want to turn Loud County Council into a kangaroo court? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not talking about uh, Loud County Council. I'm just talking about all institutions. Yeah. But and do you want to turn Loud County Council into a kangaroo no, court? No, I believe that was mentioned yeah. at the uh, at the council meeting yesterday, and that's quite disrespectful to uh, to councillors or, or to victims. It's very it's very, very disrespectful. There's no allegations being made about anybody. Well, Kevin Callan, uh, an independent counsellor, said... One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. In effect, that victims of child sexual abuse want to turn Louth County Council into a kangaroo court. I mean, that's just that's just disgraceful. I mean, that's the comment from a from a public rep. Um, if he said that, I, I, I don't know. I, I wasn't there. We weren't there. But if that if, the, if that's what he said, I mean, all victims mm. want to do is um, is want to speak. I mean, Kevin Callan was communicated three times, um, twice directly mm. and once once in, in a CC and he's never mm. responded once. He was invited to come to the Boyne Valley Hotel to respond mm. a civil play last week. Um, he didn't attend. Victims uh, came up. Victims came from around the mm. country to meet councillors. 
well, and maybe, he didn't attend. Maybe so he doesn't want to meet with victims of child sexual abuse. If victims of child sexual abuse want to turn Louth County Council into a kangaroo court, because he, he, he did say that, and uh, yeah. it, it was a, a curious statement. So we asked uh, Councillor Callan if he would join us on the programme uh, this morning to discuss why he feels victims of child sexual abuse would want to turn Louth County Council into a kangaroo court. Councillor Callan said he wasn't available. Uh, he's a busy work schedule today. So we said, well, could we record something outside of your work schedule at a time that suits you, in other words? Uh, Councillor Callan uh, responded by saying, could he have a copy of the interview? <laughs> that he, he never he, he has not accepted our invitation uh, to uh, discuss this uh, at a time suitable for him but he does want uh, a copy of the interview uh, so uh, you can speak mm-hmm. directly to Councillor Callan in a moment but before you do because he's listening to a recording of this yeah. now because we said yeah. obviously we sent it on but before we do uh, maybe we can take a, a listen to what uh, Kevin Callan had to say yesterday here he is speaking to LMFM's Ruth O'Connell in respect of individuals being brought forward and debated in the chamber whether or not something should be taken from them, everybody has the right to their good name and character. And from that point of view, I don't think it's appropriate. It's a matter for the courts or it's a matter for the judiciary. It's not a matter for county councillors to decide that in a, a county council. And you were saying that it's actually a borough district of Drogheda issue. Absolutely. The Freedom of Drogheda from the 1700s has been awarded by the the corporation and then the borough district of Drogheda. So it's a matter for the borough district of Drogheda and all of the members have said clearly they're not going to take the freedom from a person or persons who have not committed a crime or have been convicted of anything. Right. That's Independent Councillor Kevin Callan. What do you make of that, Damien? Well, as I said, I, I think he's he's missing this the stand of point here. There's nobody making allegations about anyone. Brother Garvey, this is a fact, and I hope um, uh, Councillor Callan is listening to this. Brother Garvey presided over and chose to introduce a litigation strategy that the brothers are using at the moment that we've discussed on this programme. Prime time discussed it. Irish Times are writing about it. We've discussed it three times here. This victim's this legal strategy is as far from victim focused as possible to be. And victims just wanted to stop. A former government uh, cabinet minister wrote to um, Edmund Garvey a few years ago to ask him to stop, and he just sent it on to his lawyer. Um, I would imagine that was Finian McGrath, wasn't it? Yeah, so you were working for him yeah. at the time. Yeah, yeah I would imagine Councillor Callan is a lawyer. I, I just just from listening to me, I, I he's a barrister. He's yes. a barrister. I, I wasn't surprised. And um, victims just wanted to stop. This is content, and I just want to—I want to make a point here about victims because this, this is what, what I want to bring it back to. And what I'm going to say here now would be agreed by all the rape crisis centres in Ireland. Just uh, one in four um, dignity, uh, dignity for patients. I've spoken to people from those organisations. Victims, um, when they're when they're abused originally, five and six, seven-year-olds, they're manipulated. They're powerless. They've no control over it. They're groomed. They're powerless. And any 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 sexual abuse victims, and then the legal system re-traumatizes those victims. And I, I remember listening to it was it was a deputy Jed Nash in the in the Dáil last year talking about um, the situation in Our Lady of Lords Hospital, mm. and he talked about the re-traumatization of victims through the courts through the legal system. So the legal system then re-traumatizes the victims, and again they are about, they are again powerless over what happens. Who will believe them? Prove what happened? So the courts effectively are looking for an escape route for the perpetrators. Mm. This is what's happening. And this is a double abuse. A double abuse. And Councillor Callaghan has to understand that. And if he came to the, to the, to the meeting mm. last week, or if he even responded whether he was coming or not, 
the victims paid for this. They didn't know how many. They were providing um, pastries and tea. They didn't know how many councillors were coming. You know, it was just, just disrespectful. And as I said, when an institution is faced with uncomfortable truths, going back for, for years, for decades mm. to the 90s, they, some people there, sometimes they hit out at people trying to bring this forward. I don't believe that the victims are treated with respect here. I don't believe that their advocate counsellor was treated treated the way she should have been in the council the other day. Um, separately to this, she has received abusive texts. That That's not acceptable. It's not acceptable. She's just bringing forward a point on behalf of victims. And this, this issue is about victims and how they're being treated. It's not about Section 132 of the Local Government Act. And now victim, their victims or the representatives have to get a solicitor to write to the... To the um, to the, to the county manager to find out what the legal situation mm. is about them getting heard about a reserve function for councillors and Drogheda and Loud Loud County Drogheda Urban Borough Council do have a role to play in this they continue to honour this man mm. they okay. continue to honour this man All right, sorry well, just, just one the, 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 the former Chief Justice said that, that justice um, delayed is justice denied this is what's happening here mm. this is what's happening we just want to be heard. The victims just want to be heard. Okay, just to go back over what Kevin Callan, independent councillor Kevin Callan, had to say, uh, he said everybody has a right to their good name uh, and that the members in Drogheda uh, don't want to rescind the freedom of uh, the city that was uh, conferred on Brother Edmund Garvey. Uh, we asked, uh, he hasn't spoken to you. You've invited him uh, to numerous meetings. He hasn't spoken to you uh, or any of the victims uh, and he won't speak to us. Uh, it would seem to be the case. Uh, and as I say, I know Independent Councillor Kevin Cannon is listening to this at the moment, uh, but uh, he could have taken a, a call at any time to explain what he meant by that and a kangaroo court. So we contacted uh, the five members of uh, Drogheda uh, uh, Borough in uh, the Urban Centre. Uh, Kevin Callan, one of the five. Uh, we also contacted Fianna Fáil's James Byrne, Sinn Féin's Joanna Byrne, uh, the two Labour members, P.O. Smith and Emma Cutlip. Uh, P.O. Smith uh, did contact us. Uh, we wrote to them this morning to ask if they wanted to come on with you to uh, say why they didn't want to rescind the freedom of the city, which is what Kevin Callum was saying was their position. Uh, but P.O. Smith uh, did contact us and he says, my understanding is that Councillor Callum was speaking in a personal capacity regarding Councillor Yor's motion was not respe- representing the Drogheda Borough Municipal District as that is uh, the prerogative of uh, the mayor. It is somewhat unfair to portray Councillor Callum as a spokesperson for other councillors uh, in this issue. I'm not sure what you make of that, Damien. Well, I suppose Councillor Callan, you know, we, he's, he's a barrister, you say. We have a legal system that allows vulnerable people to be re-traumatised. And, and what, what is he doing about that? And we, we spoke to, we, we wrote to the um, all the councillors in Loud. I, I wrote to them all back in December and I, I was to the mayor of Drogheda and then it was copied to the other nine uh, councillors in Drogheda, both urban and uh, rural, and not one of them responded to me. And I was asking them, could you write to, could you... You know, could you, because of the association Brother Garvey has with um, mm. with Drada, could you maybe write to him to ask him to consider? Could you meet the victims? Could you meet me? Mm. And it was just it was just ignored. Yeah. 
So we we we, we just we just we just want to be heard, you know. Mm. And and I just want to say, in fairness, um, just before around the time I was on this program the last mm. time, uh, mayor mayor of the mayor of Drogheda did um did did send me an apology for something. So I want to I want to thank her for that. Okay, and and, and just to reiterate, uh, so it's crystal clear to everybody, you're not saying, uh, and I don't think anybody you represent is saying that Brother Edmund Garvey ever did anything wrong. Uh, you're not accusing him of doing wrongdoing in any way whatsoever. Uh, but there's a, a difference uh, between what is, is legally wrong and what is morally right. And you're saying that uh, the legal strategy adopted by the Christian brothers, uh, which Brother Edmund Garvey chose, chose, introduced and presided over, was morally wrong. Well, it's, it's, it's a bit more than more than morally wrong, I would feel, and victims would feel. It's a double abuse. They're re-traumatising victims, re-traumatising victims through the courts. Mm. As we, we spoke to last time, there was a victim um, that was at the Boyne Valley meeting. Four years he's been trying to serve summonses on Christian Brothers. Their addresses have moved. 25% of the addresses he got two years ago have, have changed. Mm. They have to serve summonses on the estates. Like, it's not fair. It's not morally right on the members of the Brothers as well. There's really good members. Um, and, and, and I want to just make another point. There's really good members of uh, of, the, of the Christian Brothers. They've done fantastic work. And they've done fantastic work here in Drada. It was trying to protect them as well. They shouldn't be getting summonses. And another thing, if there's people out there that may be in the council or in the authority that, that have something that this is an anti-Catholic um, thing and they're worried about that and, and that's their um, that's their agenda. This is this is far from it. There's nothing, there's no group in the Catholic Church that is doing this at the moment. There's no other religious order. Uh, there's no, the, the Dublin diocese, the diocese here, they, they wouldn't do that. They're, 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 all their responses to victims now are victim-centred. And if you were to look at um, Brother Garvey's um, speech when he received the... Um, Freedom, the freedom of, of yeah. mm-hmm. none of those things mm-hmm. are happening now mm. to, to victims. They're not. It's not victim focused. And and I was a victim say twenty years ago, and I went through that. It, I would say that they treat victims a hundred times worse yeah. now than they did then, and that's why I'm sort of getting getting involved with this. It's, it's for the people coming up behind me. Okay, well, you know, we're going to uh, return to this story. Uh, and uh, again, we uh, invite Louth County Council and its officials uh, to discuss its position and to share its legal advice with us. Uh, the councillors uh, in Louth are welcome to discuss it with us and people, of course, uh, listening to us uh, may want to react or discuss it with their local councillors themselves uh, because uh, you're really hitting a brick wall to a large degree. Yeah, we are. Yeah, yeah. I suppose when when the councillors came, uh, when the victims and 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 their families came from the it's a thirty two mm. county situation. The order is you know, thirty two yeah. county, and they came from around the country, Kilkenny, um, Boyle. Um, they came from the north of Ireland, the Dromore Paris, um, Dromore Diocese were there supporting as well, and for five um, councillors to um, to attend, and they, they got nine days notice. I I didn't think. Um, I didn't think that was fair on the families, um, and that's why, that's why Maeve Yore and myself are are trying to do their best for them, and that that's all, that's all. Just look, I'll, I'll just leave it there, Michael. Yeah, that's okay. that's all. Damien, thanks for coming Thank in. You. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Uh, Damien O'Farrell, uh, uh, himself a victim of child sexual abuse at the hands of the Christian Brothers, as he mentioned there, he's representing people who. We're also victims from every corner of the country. He's an independent councillor on Dublin City Council. And as I mentioned earlier on, we will be returning uh, to this highly sensitive issue uh, in uh, the coming days on the programme. 
Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Uh, thanks, uh, Tom, uh, for your WhatsApp message. He says, uh, maybe it's time uh, the people of uh, the town told to the councillors what we, the people that elected them, would like to happen. Time to get texting them and tell these people there's an election coming. Tell them uh, uh, by text, uh, says Tom. Thank you uh, indeed uh, for that. Uh, as uh, I mentioned earlier on, the councillors are, are, are welcome if uh, they wish uh, to bring something uh, to this uh, story which has uh, hit, hit a bit of a brick wall. It's a very, very curious story for, for many reasons uh, in that uh, it's very hard to understand uh, in the first instance why the motion wasn't allowed to be put to the council. Um, it's, as I've always said, up to the councillors uh, to decide on these matters themselves. Uh, but if a proposition is put to them, I'm sure they're all very capable of coming to their own conclusions on it and they can vote against it as easily as uh, they can vote for it or whether, whatever they believe uh, to be appropriate. Uh, but to be asked to rescind the freedom of Drogheda on Brother Edmund Garvey for the reason that he chose a legal obstacle which stops ch- children of child sexual abuse from being compensated, from getting redress, um, is not defamatory. It's a matter of fact. He, he did. He, he, he did. Uh, whether that deserves the freedom of Drogheda being removed or not is for the councillors to decide. As a result of it, as we heard on Friday's programme, uh, you have somebody who was in the courts last week uh, who was terribly abused by a Christian brother, uh, not just sexually raped and mauled and all of that stuff, uh, but physically abused, whipped to within an inch of his life in a dungeon, as they called it. And the brother was convicted. The brother admitted it. That's why he was convicted. He, he was brought before the criminal courts. He admitted abusing that child uh, and he was convicted and went to prison. Now it's time uh, to acknowledge the wrong that was done and indeed uh, to pay some sort of uh, respect uh, for the fact that uh, he should have been protected but wasn't protected. The onus was on the Christian brothers to protect that child, very, very young child. Uh, and they failed to do that. And that's why uh, they should be paying compensation to that child. There is no question about that, I, I think, in anybody's mind. Uh, but what they've done is they've adopted this legal strategy. And the same little boy as a man today now has to take 103 brothers to court. 102 of them did nothing wrong. One was a horrible child abuser who admitted to it, who went to prison for it uh, and uh, because the brothers have this strategy that they won't put forward a, a nominee, uh, the summonses have to be served on 103 Christian brothers. They all have to be brought to court and so on. It's a very complicated issue and it means nobody uh, ends up getting anywhere very fast. Uh, and that's the idea so that the Christian brothers' bank account is protected. This is all about the Christian brothers' bank account. What's in it and what they should be paying out of it and how they're going to stop that money being paid to those people who are deserving of it. That's what it's all about. Anyway, thank you, Tom. Thanks to everybody who's been in touch. If you'd like to make a comment on the programme today, 0419832000 is our telephone number. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. 
Michael Reed on LMFM. Now to domestic abuse against parents. Uh, at least uh, there appears uh, to be a serious uh, problem uh, if you look at calls to parent line in uh, the course of uh, the last year. 2,000 calls thereabouts from parents uh, who had been experiencing violent and aggressive behaviour from their children. Let's uh, speak now uh, to Aileen Hickey, who's uh, the CEO of Parent Line. A very good morning to you, Aileen. Thank you uh, indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. Uh, I suppose it's not really any different to any other form of uh, domestic violence, is it? Uh, absolutely. Uh, good morning, Michael. Um, so it's not. I mean, I suppose... Uh, so what, what we're referring to here um, it falls under the general label of child-to-parent violence. And I suppose what needs to be remembered is this is kind of the unspoken side of domestic violence because, you know, I think a lot of people, when they think about domestic violence, think of it as in a partner-to-partner relationship or partner-to-partner setting. But child-to-parent violence is also domestic violence because obviously domestic violence is any violence that takes place in the domestic setting. Um, and, and the thing is, you know, Michael, like, like other forms of domestic violence, you know, it leaves a huge sense of, of shame. So, but, but just to explain what child-to-parent mm. violence is, child-to-parent violence is um, behaviours uh, exhibited by a child towards their parent, where basically at its heart, what it does is it leaves a parent in fear of their own child in their own home because of uh, abusive and violent behaviours that are directed at them. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's kind of, you know, a big 15-year-old young fella throwing his mother up against the fridge door every night of the week. Mm. It, you know, it can be that, and, and, and some parents that would call us are certainly have or, or are suffering from injuries, a black eye or bruising or whatever, but it's not just that, because, you know, while many of the callers are experiencing physical violence and abuse, child-to-parent violence covers a multitude of behaviours, which can also include emotional abuse, uh, verbal abuse, manipulation, controlling behaviours, mm. um, children damaging property. So it, it does cover a multitude. But uh, as I said earlier, yeah. at its heart, what it does is it leaves the child, uh, or it leaves the parent mm. rather, um, in fear uh, of their own child, you, you know, in their own home. Right. And I take it, it extends out to older children as well, adults who've long moved uh, out of the home uh, with elderly par- parents. Absolutely. So actually, generally, I mean, we would see that the, the majority of it um, is... Uh, the, the age range for the majority of it is roughly kind of 12 to to 18 but it, you know it can be younger and it certainly can be adult children um, who are living in the family home and um, it, it's it's uh, our experience and we can only report on our experience is it's about uh, two thirds uh, would be boys um, and it's generally directed at the mother and that they're just, that's just what we hear on the helplines you know so I'm not I'm not supporting anything that we don't hear on the helplines uh, but, you know, I suppose essentially what it does then is, it, you know, these apparent, you know, the, the parents feel kind of helpless and, you know, they feel as though they failed. And for a lot of parents, for most parents, they don't understand how this has happened, you know, in their homes and, and, and in mm. their families. So, you know, it leads to, you know, I suppose a sense of shame and can also lead to, to secrecy because, you know, I think most parents are very protective of their children and it's not something they necessarily want to discuss, you know, mm. with other family members or down at the school gate or with their neighbours or friends or anything else. So, mm. um, you know, they, 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 you know they, they, they try and, you know, keep it to themselves. I suppose that, that's where parent line comes mm. in and that, you know, when parents call us, 
you know, they're ringing us because they're ringing a helpline in confidence mm. and without judgment. Is uh, it a blow up though that happens, or is it a repeat, repeat, or is it repeated physical violence? Repeated. It's it's it's, it's rarely just one incident, mm. um, and we wouldn't call child parent violence just one incident. Yeah. The same as gen- generally bullying isn't just one incident. So it's 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 a pattern of behaviour and it's a series of behaviours. There's generally more than just one behaviour. I mean, mm. it might be verbal abuse with violence, uh, with controlling behaviours with school refusal. So yeah. there's generally a number uh, of what, 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 What's the kind of thing that sparks it? Is it discipline or, or rules? Uh, you're not a, a allowed to hang out with the local drug dealer or you're not to come home drunk or that sort of thing um, that causes uh, these kind of problems that end up being violent? To be honest, um, you know, there is no specific, I mean, you, you, again, it, you don't put a fault because, you know, again, it's the behaviour that's the problem rather than the child that's the problem. So, it, you know, it could be anything. I mean, you, it could be, um, you know, an undiagnosed condition. It could be that the child is experiencing anxiety. The child is experiencing loss. Um, the child themselves is being bullied. And, um, you know, it, it, it could be anything. So, you know, you, mm. you can't put it down to, you know, anyone uh, any one incident or you know or, or for parents you know they can't take blame that this is suddenly something that has occurred because of the behaviour that, that they have exhibited okay. towards the child mm. Aileen um, just to mention I'm not sure if it's possible uh, to speak more directly into the phone but uh, it's a bit muffled at times if uh, you can improve okay. on that on your end uh, but um, there is a simple solution for most parents I take it which is kick them out well, that, we, we wouldn't consider that the simple solutions. What, what, what we do in Parentline is we offer a program. Uh, I, I hope you can hear me better now, but yes, we offer a program called the Nonviolent Resistance Program. Now, we're not the only organisation that offers the program, but it is a program that was developed specifically to deal with child-to-parent violence. It was developed... Um, uh, it, was, it was actually developed in Israel, but uh, it was adapted by an Irish, uh, an Irish professor, Dr. Declan Coogan. Mm. Uh, we, we, we've been offering it since 2013, so about 10 years we've been offering it. Um, now, the, 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 the need for it and um, the, the referrals for it and the requests for it have increased dramatically over the last few years. We put 25% more non-violent resistance programs into place last year. But just to explain what it is, yeah. I mean, I suppose, first of all, what, what I will say is for anyone who wants to know more about it, they can go on the parentline.ie website or they can just Google non-violent resistance mm. programs because I say we're not the only organisation that offers it. But essentially, it's, it's, uh, it's a non-blaming intervention model that basically kind of empowers parents and um, people working with them to take positive action uh, to try and end the abusive and the violent behaviour of the child, it, it basically works by de-escalating what's happening um, in terms of the behaviours. And essentially, at the heart of that is it works. We only work with parents, by the way. We don't work with children. It, it, it works by changing the parents' reaction to the behaviours that are being exhibited. Because generally, most children and teenagers know exactly what button to press and exactly how parents will react. Because they generally right. react the same way each time. This works to change the reaction of the parent, and that in turn. Um, it brings about um, a, a reactional change from the child mm. um, as long as it works effectively. Now, it's not a magic wand and it's not a magic beam and it's a programme that takes eight to ten weeks you know, it, it, over the phone, a, an hour a week over the phone and we certainly have a waiting list for the programme. But what really? I will say, Michael, mm. is mm. that it is the most fantastic programme and we have seen the most 
fantastic results from families that thought they were in, you know, quite a cast- catastrophic yeah. situation, and it has certainly worked. Well, that's that's that. the thing, yeah. isn't it? Uh, I'm sure there's an awful lot of parents who are delighted to hear there's an alternative to my simple suggestion of kicking them out, because I'm sure that's the last thing any parent wants to do with their child. We all love our, our children on one hand, uh, but you have to take your personal safety and your sanity into account on the other hand. Uh, in general terms, uh, what do you learn over the eight weeks? Is it uh, like dealing with young children where you reward good behaviour and ignore bad behaviour? Um I suppose actually, you know, there there is an element of that, but you know, essentially, as I say, it's about kind of understanding that a beha- the behaviour is a behaviour, and you can separate the behaviour from the child, um, and you know, it's it's about you know what we say is kind of taking the lift down to the bottom floor. So you know, it's very easy sometimes to react, which is like pouring oil on the fire, and causes the behaviours to accelerate. This is all about de-escalating the behaviours that are happening. Um, and, um, you know, empowering the parents to deal with what's happening. You know, I mean, you know, it would take a long time to explain it, but as I say, there's a lot of information on parentline.ie. Anyone who wants to know more can look at that, or they can ring our helplines where our volunteers will listen to them and see if if the Nonviolent Resistance Programme is something that would possibly work for their family if they're experiencing these issues. We have 31... um, and non-violent resistance trained um, facilitators. They are absolutely fantastic. Now, as I say, we do have a, a short waiting list for the programme because we are inundated with um, parents looking for the programme. And, and again, I will say again, Michael, it's not a magic bean mm. and it's not a magic wand. If, if a parent wants to, to do the programme, they have to work with the programme also and commit to doing the programme and commit to doing what's suggested in the programme. Mm. Okay, but it's eight weeks. It's a big commitment. Well, it's a big commitment, but I suppose, you know, what we have seen is that for the parents that do commit, it has brought about a behavioural change. It has brought their family back to where they wanted their family to be. Um, And, you know, otherwise, you know, you're looking at years maybe of a very dysfunctional family dynamic. So you can work with something that will work or, you know, or, or not. Okay, well, uh, the options aren't good, uh, as we mentioned earlier on. Aileen, thank you indeed. Uh, Parent line can be reached on Dublin 87335500. That's 0187335500. And thank you indeed, as I say, for joining us on the programme today. Aileen Hickey is uh, the CEO of Parent Line. Now, thanks to Noel McCormick, who's uh, just watched Appus saying. I emigrated in the 60s and uh, there was no one waiting for me to bring me to a hotel. I never came across any droves of Irish spongers in my time abroad. What I did come across was plenty of anti-Irish sentiment, especially in small towns. So don't say we were welcome everywhere. We weren't. Uh, We went because uh, uh, we wanted to work. If we didn't work, we slept on a park bench. I heard you mention the famine. Uh, That's another point in time that we were discriminated against by the same people that inflicted the famine upon us. The only thing you have seen uh, was sponging Irish. Hardworking men and women who built up the countries, uh, they immigrated to. Thank you indeed, Noel. Uh, I saw lots of very hardworking Irish people abroad. You see, that's the thing. Um, There's... Uh, good and bad in every community uh, and um, I suppose any community that you go to there's good and bad uh, I'm sure you'd uh, some very good experiences uh, 
in the places uh, that you went to live in, as well as uh, those experiences uh, with people expressing anti-Irish sentiment, uh, because you'll always get uh, that sort, Noel. Um, I don't know if you'd wish it on anybody else. Maybe just leave it at that. Uh, PJ on the Christian Brothers he says, the word Christian should be removed from their title as they were anything but Christians. I had them from the age of four until I finally finished my schooling in Tipperary Town. They were cruel and evil. Thank you, PJ. Michael Reed on LMFM. Time now, as is usual around this time on a Tuesday, for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. We're joined for the report this week by Garda Ethan Fitzpatrick in Dulik Garda Station. As always, there's a number of incidents which Garda are investigating, and perhaps you can assist with those investigations locally. Good morning, Garda Ethan Fitzpatrick, and thank you for joining us. We're going to begin with a hit and run uh, that occurred on Sunday night going into Monday morning. Yes, good uh, Good morning. Uh, Gardaí at Ashburn Garda Station are investigating a, a road traffic incident which occurred in Ashburn in the early hours of Monday, April 10th. Uh, the incident occurred at approximately 1am and involved a car and a pedestrian. Uh, the car failed to remain at scene while a woman aged in her 50s was removed from the scene to Conley Hospital to be treated for serious injuries. Uh, two men, both in their age 20s, have been arrested and detained at a Garda station in Mead under Section 4 of the Criminal Justice Act 1984. Both men have since been released from custody and a file will now be prepared to the DPP while Gardaí have investigations ongoing. But Gardaí are appealing to anyone who may have witnessed this incident or who may have dash cam footage from the Frederick Street area between the hours of 12.45am to 1.30am on Monday, April 10th to please contact Ashburn Garda station on 01 8010600, or as always, the Garda Confidential Line on 1800 666 Okay, uh, another incident uh, that uh, dates back uh, some weeks uh, to the 20th of April, very early on a, a Thursday morning, and some item, items stolen from a vehicle in Dulik. Yeah, the Garda and Laytown Garda station are investigating a test which occurred sometime between 6.45am and 7.30am on Thursday morning, April 20th. So the injured party's vehicle was parked up on Abbey Road in Delique during that time and when he returned to his vehicle he noticed his wallet containing a large amount of cash was missing. So Garda are appealing to anyone who may have been in the vicinity of Abbey Road, Delique on Thursday the 20th of April or may have noted anything suspicious in the area. If they have any information, could they please contact Laytown Garda on 041 981 or the Garda Confidential Line on 1800-666-1111. And next to a burglary that occurred in Coroner Ross last Thursday. Gardaí and Kells are investigating a burglary uh, which occurred on Thursday the 11th of May between 9am and 6pm at Carna Cross Kells. Uh, believe the suspect gained injury to the dwelling through the rear of the property and a substantial amount of jewellery and cash were subsequently taken. So Gardaí Kells Garda Station are appealing to anyone who may have been in the vicinity of Carna Cross uh, on Thursday the 11th of May or may have noticed anything suspicious in the area, could you please contact Kells Garda Station on 046 928 or the Garda Confidential Line again on 1800-666-1111. And then that night, Thursday the 11th of May, Thursday of last week, a stolen vehicle that Garda are hoping uh, to track down. 
Yeah, so Guardian Trim Garda Station are investigating uh, the unauthorised taking of a vehicle overnight from Kilmesson, County Mead. On Thursday the 11th of May, uh, the vehicle, it's a 171D Dublin 9782, a grey Nissan Qashqai. It was parked uh, up at approximately 11.30pm and when the owner returned the next morning at 7am it had been taken overnight. So that's a, a grey Nissan Qashqai and the vehicle reg is 171D 9782. So Garda appealing to anyone who may have been in the area of Kilmesson on Thursday the 11th of May or may have noted anything suspicious in the area or possibly dash cam footage of that area from that time to contact Trim Garda Station on 046 948 1540 or the Garda Confidential Line on 1800 666 uh, Another burglary to report on uh, this one in Channon Rock uh, and it happened uh, sometime between Saturday evening and Sunday morning. Yeah, that's correct. So Gardaí and RD are investigating the burglary which occurred on Saturday the 13th of May uh, between the hours of 6.30pm and 9am on the Sunday morning the 14th at uh, Shannon Rock Loud. Uh, the suspect gained entry to the dwelling and again a substantial amount of jewellery was taken. So Gardaí are appealing to anyone who may have been in the area of Shannon Rock uh, at this time. That's between 6pm on Saturday the 13th of May and 9am on Sunday the 14th of May. May have noticed anything suspicious or if they have any information regarding this, uh, please contact RD Garda Station on 041 685 or the Garda Confidential Line on uh, 1800-666-1111. And I I know you want to conclude uh, by reiterating uh, that uh, advice uh, and appeal indeed for that matter that came from the Irish Farmers Association this morning to both motorists and farmers during silage season uh, to share the road with each other. Yeah, we're, we're getting into the, the good weather, uh, thankfully, so it's just a, basically an appeal to motors to take extra care as there's a, a number of tractors, trailers and other farm machinery using the roads usually increases at this time of year. So uh, the appeal comes as farmers and contractors have started cutting silage around the country as the weather improves. So if you're travelling behind a tractor or a slow-moving vehicle, just please be patient. Don't be tempted to overtake in a dangerous manner and just be aware and on the lookout for farm machinery, maybe exiting fields and and farm yards. Just to say that, obviously, farmers need to be safety conscious too and if you become aware that the traffic's building up behind you, just try and keep left when safe to do so in order to allow other road users to pass safely. Okay, be nice to each other. Thank you indeed. Garda Ethan Fitzpatrick of Dulee Garda Station will return to the Garda crime desk getting around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. Now you may remember Derek Quigley, maybe not the name but I'm sure you'll remember Derek Quigley's story. She was uh, a young woman who died at the age of 36 after a a life uh, on drugs uh, many years on drugs uh, and uh, uh, then went through what her mother described to be a psychotic episode Uh, when she walked down Harcourt Street uh, naked. Uh, It was captured on CCTV, on Garda CCTV, uh, and then somehow uh, film footage of her walking down the street in that condition uh, was shared on WhatsApp. And then it did the rounds uh, before Derek quickly eventually took her life. Uh, I think people would feel that uh, that... uh, um, video and indeed the embarrassment uh, that it caused her must have uh, played into her thinking. Her mother is Aileen Malone and yesterday we heard a contribution to the Citizens Assembly on Drug Use 
from Gillian, a woman who was born a drug addict, a heroin addict. And uh, she told us her story of her life of addiction and that of her, her parents, uh, who were also did, uh, addicts, and how her father was one of uh, the first people to die from heroin in, in this country. Aileen Malone, Derek Quigley's mother, uh, was at the Citizens' Assembly over the weekend. And uh, we can hear just a, a little bit of what she had to say about her experience. My daughter, Dara, died six years ago. And yeah, she started out recreation drug using and that was like when she was in her early 20s, she was in a good job, she was working in IT, she had a good steady boyfriend, nice life and she just coming down, went to raves and then coming down on the Sunday night in order to be able to function at work the next week, she used to, they used to smoke heroin. Now there was a whole gang of them did it. And she was the only one that developed problems with it. Um, and then very sadly, she kind of quickly spiraled into dependency and died then a few years later. So it would have been about 12 years, I'd say, 12 years after we first became aware of her problem. Right, that's a, a long time living with addiction. That addiction had a big impact on all of the family. Ooh. <laughs> Loads of impacts, loads and loads. Um, my husband and myself, Terry, of course, like we got caught up in kind of when you have somebody who's using substances in your family, there's always crises. When there's when it's problematic use, I have to say, and it's only about ten percent of people who use substances develop problematic use. But you become caught up in all the different crises that happen and in trying to rescue and in going, well, okay, we'll sort this thing out and surely surely this will sort it out forever. But there's always, it's unrelenting. Now, Dara's death as well too affected her younger sister really badly. She already had started kind of using drugs, but then she developed a severe um, dependency on heroin as well too, and benzos as well, herself. Yeah, well, I have three daughters, but those two, Dara and the other girl, and we'll call her Amy. It's not a real name, but we'll call her that because I like to have a name for her. And um, yeah, so I've lived with this drug dependent, people with drug dependencies for oh, about 20 years now. Um, I'm going to tell you, it's exhausting, absolutely exhausting, and it affects the family on so many levels. It's emotionally, physically, financially, and socially. And it takes so much, it took so much out of us. And then because Terry and myself were, Terry was my husband, kind of focusing our energies on our two girls and on trying to get you know, get them into treatment or trying to sort out or just being there for them. The rest of the family, the other two family members, were kind of neglected. You know, we didn't have as much time for them. And that's tragic because they needed us as much as Dara and Amy did. That's Aileen Malone, Derek Quigley's mother, speaking at uh, the Citizens' Assembly over the weekend. Maggie McGuire researched today's programme. Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael and God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am, right here on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. 
The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.